Today on CityCast Denver. Everything old is new again. Again, a Japanese restaurant claiming to be the oldest in Colorado is set to close in Cherry Creek, while a hot new Japanese place on the north side is promising a fresh take. Then neighborhood markets, a.k.a. bodegas, are so hot right now. And our picks for your weekend. Today is Thursday, November 2nd. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. It's time to talk about the weekend. So I'm here with newsletter editor Peyton Garcia. Hey, Bree. And of course, our producer Paul Caroli is here too. Good morning, Bree. So we're talking stuff for the weekend, also food news. This is our weekly food news show. And I think the big story in the food world this week is kind of about two stories. Uh, within the changing Japanese food scene. So um, there's this Cherry Creek staple, which is closing. And then we have this like fresh new take on Japanese opening um, on the north side. And I, I guess let's start there. Paul, tell me about this new spot, uh, Kumoya. Tell, what's, what's it all about? Well, Kumoya opened earlier this month. It's called Kumoya Japanese Kitchen. It's the new place in the old Tony P's location. One of the old oh, Tony nice. P's locations. I think I didn't know this, but maybe old Denver people know this. Tony P's is like bounced around a lot across the city. It's the Pasquini's empire that it ex- imploded. Oh, long story. Long okay. story. But a yes, different Tony show. P's a is an, yeah, an offshoot of that. Yes. Anyway, 2400 West 32nd Avenue. That's where this new spot is. Uh, the Denver Post reports they opened on October 12th, quote, serving daily rotating sushi specials and izakaya style hot dishes. Um And then here's where it gets interesting because Lily O'Neill from The Post, she obviously went and she had some just beautiful pictures. And that's what got me excited of this ornate food. Like um, there was a whole fish served with these like meticulously carved vegetables on this bowl full of ice, which I've never eaten a fish over a bowl full of ice before. That just, that was interesting. Um, And then here's a great quote uh, from her story. The corner restaurant has been transformed into a Japanese oasis with cherry blossom details, translucent shoji screens, and paper lanterns. But you don't have to take your shoes off at the door. Sounds beautiful. It really does. Gorgeous environment to enjoy some really beautiful sounding food. Mm-hmm. Pay, mm-hmm. pay. What do you, what do you think? I, like looking at the Japanese sort of cuisine in in Denver overall, where do you see Kumoya fitting in? I don't know. I so I was reading this and I was just thinking, like, you know, we have a lot of sushi now. We do. We have a lot of sushi, like so many sushi options, so many nice Japanese options. So it kind of stuck out to me that they that there's a quote from. Um, from one of the founders, I think, or maybe she's a chef. She has a quote in here, though, that says um, there's not really or no, sorry, it was the the chef. He says there's not really food like this around the highlands. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like we have so much of this all over Denver. I mean, yeah. we have sushi den. Yeah, you know, sushi den. Uchi is like not that far from the highlands. It's in North Denver, Sasa. too. Salsa's right there. Sushi Ronin yeah, is sushi in Ronin. High, low high too. I mean, hmm. it looks cool. Don't get me wrong. And you're right, Paul. The, the photos in the Denver Post article are stunning. But my question is just like, I don't. Is it is it that new? I I mean, I don't know. And they said we don't have anything like that in Highland. And they they mentioned that they serve chawan mushi. Sorry if I butchered that. It's like a silky steamed egg custard. Um, that's Ooh. like a really 
authentic Japanese dish that you like don't find a lot of places, except for I know for a fact that Wolf's Taylor serves that. And that's in Sunnyside. Oh. Huh. So huh. interesting. I don't know. I so, mean, it I looks mean, cool, but I, I just don't know if it's like new. I feel like this is kind of just the claims mm. that a new our new restaurant often right. makes to sort of make its uh, impression. It's like, but we're doing something different. And I don't know, maybe there's something intricate in the menu that we're not we're not understanding or not seeing right away. But I feel you in that, like, our our dining scene has expanded so much that we do have yeah. a lot of options in every type of food. Which almost. is I mean, incredible. We've even got vegan sushi on East <laughs> Colfax. Yeah. Wellness I mean, sushi. Right. Yeah. Vegan like, sushi. And that's not to like undermine what these guys are doing because I'm sure that they do have an incredible menu. And that actually kind of brings me to um, the group that's behind it. So the restaurant group behind it, which is Culinary Creative Group, they like do incredible stuff. That's like um, Max McKissick and Juan Padro and I think Carrie Baird. They have mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff in the Highlands and they always do really successful stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure this place is going to be great. Yeah, actually, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. It's like, I, I think that's the story here. I don't think it's about something new, but that culinary creative group and like, I'm not normally a person that cares about restaurant groups. I don't think most like normal diners are like you just get excited about a place, you know, but this group, um, I was thinking about them recently because I just went to their new Cuban Puerto Rican inspired bar in Cherry Creek called I Poppy. And I just had such a good time there. It was so solid. Like the drinks were great. The prices were reasonable. The vibe was great. They had that like very uh, minty green color that seems to be everywhere now. Oh, I, all love over the that. I just love that I color. Um, I feel like the story with them is like just great uh, execution. Highland Tap and Burgers is such a good burger mm -hmm. place. Red Top's Rendezvous, that's their pizza joint. It just seemed like people have been oh, raving about it since Bardot it opened. Bardot is good. The Fox and the Hen, I've been raving about that place since mm -hmm. it opened. So I, for me, this is like, it's less about what's new to the city and more about what's new to this particular group's portfolio. Yeah. Interesting. So if you're a fan of those restaurants, maybe not necessarily like you just want to see what they're doing next, what their new yeah. challenge is. Yeah. Yeah. I think they know That's how right. to run a restaurant. I'm excited That's about so it. Yeah. They're expanding too. So they're, they're looking at a couple of places in Boulder to expand some of the stuff they already have, like Mr. Oso, but they're also, I think, um, trying to open up some of their concepts in, I think it's new Orleans. They're like yeah, going, new Orleans. yeah, which is awesome. New Orleans is so cool. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, they they're cool. definitely giants in the culinary scene. They Makes are. Makes me want to talk to this one Padro guy. What yeah. does he know? The rest of us don't. <laughs> What's he's got something? He's figuring What's something secret? out for sure. Um, well, so that's a that's an opening. And then I think we're kind of looking at the flip side of this Japanese food story, which is that uh, Business Den reported this week that Kobe On is closing its doors at 231 Milwaukee Street in Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek North um, owner Kimmy Loeffler saying that her building is set to be demolished. Um, have either of you been to Kobe on? No. Have you? Not me. Never. No. I. You know what? I hadn't either. And I just digging into this story, I remembered seeing the restaurant in its original location, which was in Lakewood. And sadly, that in 2014, um, the owner of Kobayan also got a notice that their building was being demolished. So, oh no! She, so she moved to Cherry Creek, and in the article for Business Den, um, the owner Kimmy says she didn't want to move. They really liked where they were, and so I think at this point now it's the second time this is happening to them. And I, I think honestly, she's ready to retire. 
Um, well, Bree, there was there was one thing that the owner said in this business den article that uh, that you mentioned, and I, I want to hear what you what you thought about this. So, this Kimmy Loeffler person, she made an interesting claim. She said that Kobayan is the oldest Japanese restaurant in Colorado. I guess it opened, or the first one opened in 1979. Yeah, yeah, which. I thought I was thinking like just peripherally, what do I know? And I'm like, okay, I think Kokoro's from the 80s, Domo's from the 90s. So Kobayan could very well be the oldest sur- surviving and I, or, or longest running, I would say, can, since that time. But I reached out to our friend of the show, um, Gil Asakawa, who has written this wonderful book. We had him on to talk about it. It's called Tabe Masho, Let's Eat the Tasty of the Tasty History of Japanese Food in America. And I was like, who would know this better than Gil? And Gil responded to me and he said, I guess if you count the fact that Kobayan is still open, it can be called the oldest. But, you know, Japanese immigrants and Japanese Americans settled in Denver starting in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And by the time of World War II, there was a thriving Japantown district along Larimer from 19th to 36th streets. And we've talked to Gil about this as well as uh, I, Professor William Way, too, I think, spoke to us about this. And I think I think she's correct. I think Kobayan's probably the longest running at this point. But I think Gil's point was just that it's been a culture and a community that has been in in Denver for as long as Denver's been around. I thought that, that is was helpful context. Cool. I loved his book. I haven't gotten a chance to talk oh, about so that, but good. I read it since we had him on the show. He's oh, that, he's the authority. Yeah, he's great. He's he's so sweet. He's he's just so sweet about the way that the book. What I loved about the book, Paul, was like it's a history, but it's so interwoven with his personal story. Yeah, and it just like connects you even closer to how someone feels about food from their from their heart and from their family. But he he does this amazing job of telling us the history of it in America. It's great. Yeah, we'll put a yeah. link to the book in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high quality meats, eggs and dairy from small local farms, fresh baked breads from local bakeries and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples best part is pine melon offers same day delivery to denver and soon boulder within a two-hour window no subscription necessary save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door join the movement and support local today use promo code citycastdenver for 75 dollars off your first delivery at pinemelon.com that's pinemelon.com okay so our next story is it's something of a trend piece. Uh, bodegas, aka neighborhood markets, are popping up or taking new life across the city. And um, the latest is Denver Post is reporting that new owners have come in to buy the old 12th Avenue Market in Delhi, which folks might know it's this little strip of commercial businesses right in Congress Park. It's by I go to Chef Zorba's, which is right over there. Um, but Paul, what's going on with this 12th Avenue Market? Well, uh, it is a uh, wildly complicated story that sums up to something pretty simple, uh, Bree. But it's it's Denver Post reporting again. Um, Jake Reederer is one of the central characters here. He's the owner of the Pandemic Sandwich Pop Up Open Sandwiches um, that I hadn't heard of, but I think you know you get the idea. He started this company during the pandemic when he was laid off from his job in the restaurant industry. Um, sure. 
So he and his wife, Cecilia Jones, decided that their next venture is going to be in the neighborhood market business. And I guess they, um, they started talking to John Mutsuris, uh, who's the longtime owner of Spinelli's Market in Park Hill and Pete's Fruit and Vegetables in Hilltop, both of which are also kind of these like neighborhood market things. And uh, anyway, so Reader says in the Denver Post, we were in talks with a couple of owners and John said, well, why don't you just buy into Spinelli's? I'm tired. <laughs> but um, but here's the quote I liked from Reader that kind of like brought this all home for me and made me think like, what's happening here? Um, he says, my wife and I started really thinking about the neighborhood market industry and loved the idea of opening in spots with food deserts or just revitalizing little neighborhood markets. Um, they reportedly plan to reopen uh, this new place in 12th Avenue uh, as Congress Park Market later this month. Such an interesting concept or thought because it's sort of like a take on the old school market that would be close to your house where you would buy your groceries, which was eventually sort of overtaken by the big box stores that we go to now that you often mm -hmm. have to drive to. Uh, Peyton, how do you feel about this or think about this dream of like this? I don't know. It feels a little bit romantic. The neighborhood market, you know, like this bounty of fruits and vegetables in, in the display in the front and you walk in and there's a friendly you know what I mean like I just see it sort of almost Sesame Street like yeah to me. no I I mean I love I love the idea who doesn't love that idea I mean like you said it's very romantic uh, I mean when I worked downtown I was near uh, Marzik's Fine Food and I used to walk there sure. all the time for lunch and I would get their sandwiches um, like their hot sandwiches and I would pick up you know some fancy meat and cheese and it was it felt you felt so I don't know, cute doing it, right? But um, mm -hmm. I, I think that this whole thing is just part of Denver's yearning to feel like a big city. <laughs> and I just don't know if, if that's doable here. I mean, because you can't, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the city. I'm not, I don't live in the city proper, as you know. Is that, is that even feasible to walk to places like this? I mean, it really depends on where you live, honestly. I, I think there's I think. like three neighborhoods in the city where one of these markets would make sense. I think Congress Park is like borderline, personally. I used to live in Cab Hill and I would go to the Capitol Hill convenience store, which has a, a little bit more of an ambush, ambitious, like they've got more pre-prepared foods um, than like a 7-Eleven does. I used to go there like two to three times a week because I just lived so close and you could just go grab something. Um, yeah. And I was always walking around anyway. So why not stop in and get a sandwich or get a, you know, bag of M&Ms? Congress Park, maybe, I don't know. But like, imagine this in I don't know, like Montbello or the far west side, or there's just so many places where driving is how you get around mm -hmm. and are you going to stop for just the you know a dozen eggs when you could go to the the big box grocery store at your weekly trip yeah yeah i i see i just like so there's this idea of like i think they mentioned it in the story it's like the neighborhood market solving the food desert problem and as a person that worked on a project directly funding neighborhood markets to solve food desert problems they don't <laughs> solve food desert problems they Why don't not? Well, you want them to, but like the majority of the time you're looking at a neighborhood, say, I think Montbello actually has been in this struggle for a really long time with the fresh low market and mm. going through that. A King Supers pulled out of there and you've got a driving centric community, which, again, is not the p fault of the people that live there. It's just the way that the urban design is. And it's just not. A neighborhood market is not going to solve for, say, I, I was at King Supers this week getting my COVID and flu shots. Folks use the grocery store to cash their paychecks and get money orders. Um, there's all these functions that large grocery stores do now that 
neighborhoods that have food deserts are also missing out on. Mm. So I think the neighborhood market is a cute dream. I don't think it solves the problem of the food desert. I would say those are just two separate things well, that I don't think are. They would be more expensive, right? And they're usually more expensive, yeah. I would yeah, say, Pete's, in my experience. Pete's fruits and vegetables or the Pete's Market that I talked about in Hilltop, that one is very expensive. That's like a specialty shop. Right, I mean, yeah. But also it serves Hilltop. That's kind of the neighborhood, but... That's not the kind of place where you're going to do a weekly shopping. Trip. Right. That's like how Marzik's Fine Food built, too. I mean, I think, yeah, there's just too many other options. Like if I if I have the choice to walk to a marketplace, yeah, that's fine if I'm going to pick up some wine and cheese for date night. But if I'm going to do my grocery shopping, right. why wouldn't I get in my car and drive to a King Supers? Yeah, unfortunately. And then I think there's just the habit breaking, too. Like even if we got a bunch of these to pop up. People are so used to shopping that way here, like shopping at big box stores. I just don't know. I mean, I I, I, w I hope it works out. I would love for it to work out, but I just don't know if there's enough people to it's, patronize It's kind of that. the same problem we talk about when we talk about transit. Like, how do you get people out of their cars? It's habit. Mm -hmm. You know, you have people who have to build their but lives it, around certain transit systems. And it has to be a price point that's affordable, though, as Pei was pointing out, because like in my neighborhood, for instance, there are a lot of these smaller markets. There are carnicerias mm. all over. I lived across the street from a Mi Pueblo, um, but they and they they have affordable. That's the difference to me, though, is that carniceria is most likely more affordable than Spinelli's. So mm -hmm. people are utilizing it more as a more regular grocery store. So I think it's like price point, what they offer. Those are really the, the determining factors of with if this is actually going to solve a problem versus be something cute in the neighborhood. One 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 point that I think Congress Park residents are going to want to hear about because speaking yeah. to your point about services offered. Yes. At the big box oh yeah. Stores, good point. This old place on the on twelfth. It used to have a U.S. Postal Service office that yes. you could drop off packages, send packages. Apparently, the new owners are going to be keeping that. Uh, that will stay, but they're going to reorient how it works inside the shop. That's going to move to the front, and they're making room for a deli counter where they're going to be serving Spinelli's classic sandwiches. That's a great point, Paul, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is, again, something a market would serve for as, as a post office. And I think it's cool that they're going to give it a refresh and maybe put it more front and center so folks realize, oh, I can go in here and do a little bit of my mail business and I don't have to. I mean, because who loves going to the post office? Nobody. If you can take a little of the pain out of that. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not to dra drag these. I think these are wonderful ideas in great places. I just like they don't function to solve a problem to me. They're just a nice addition to a neighborhood, you know? Yeah. These kinds of markets exist all over the city. I mean, there's some of them are calling themselves bodegas, which is not something that Denverites would, I think, traditionally know. Um, but I wonder if our listeners have markets or or small sort of convenience places in their neighborhoods that they frequent. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what your little favorite spot is or how it functions for you or if you are dying for one of these. Um, give us a call on the... Do you have a bodega hotline at 720-500-5418? Uh, leave us a voicemail with your name, neighborhood, and thoughts on the idea of the neighborhood market. So we're trying something a little different this time. Each of us has prepared a personal pick for your weekend. It could be an event, a new restaurant, an old favorite, running a special, or anything else that we want to talk about that could be perfect to do this weekend. Um, Paul, do, do you want to start us off? I'd be honored, Bream. 
Um, so my pick for the weekend is completely dependent on weather, um, but I do have a contingency backup. Um, so last weekend was so snowy and cold. All I was thinking all weekend was where is the biggest fireplace? Where is the fireplace I can sit next to and just read or like have a beer or something? I don't know. Just be super cozy. That's all I wanted. I Googled it and I found uh, Rheinhaus, the German place downtown, mm-hmm. apparently has a mahogany first floor fireplace. And uh, it's a German bar uh-huh. with baji ball courts. I ate like a, I had a meal there once. It was fine. Not great for a vegetarian, but fireplace (laughs) seems pretty cool. (laughs) So that's my pick. If it's cold, if it's warm, I talked about iPoppy earlier. That bar is awesome. Cherry Creek. Where's that bar again? Okay. Puerto Rican, Cuban inspired. It's in Cherry Creek. It's so nice. It's very fancy. Everybody's there was dressed up when I was there. Uh, They got a little patio that's quite cute. So um, if it's, if it's nice out, frozen mojito on the patio at iPoppy. Oh, that sounds great. I've been to Rheinhaus. I agree with you. Not vegetarian friendly in the least bit, um, but it definitely has those like dark. It's like kind of dark because there's so much dark wood in there. I could feel the vibe that you're you're going for. Yeah, I like that idea. Peyton, what about you? Yeah, um, I really like that, Paul. That's fun. And I really like this new take on the weekend suggestions. Um I, however, don't think I understood the assignment. Um, So I picked an event and it's still a nice event. So check this out. Um, It's your pick. You can pick whatever you want. I know. But now that I know how much flexibility we have, I'll I'll come ready next week because that's that's exciting. Okay. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and suggest a celebration that's happening at the MCA The Cube. MCA's the cube i guess that's in central park and um it is ushering in native american heritage month uh which Hmm. starts to yesterday the month of november and um it's a celebration called the art of the powwow celebrating indigenous culture and there's gonna be all sorts of really cool stuff there there's gonna be a lot of native community members indigenous community members um it's a free event there's gonna be storytelling traditional music dance free food from takabe and um, an artisan market space uh, just seems really cool. A cool way to celebrate uh, Native American Heritage Month. Also, MCA is Master Community Association. <laughs> that would Not explain why. MCA Denver. I just I Googled it. I was so confused. Yeah, that's good to know. Well, it's in Central So it's Park. the neighborhood. It's like a neighborhood association puts it on. There you go. Cool. Great pick, Peyton. That sounds fun. Thanks, Interesting. Paul. All right, Brie, what do you got? I mean, mine's a little shameless plug. I'll be in Estes Park all weekend for Devochka's, um Black Tie Ball. It's their fifth annual. They do two nights at the Stanley Hotel. Everybody dresses up like fancy, gothic, and it's at the Stanley. So it's naturally a little bit free. It's a little scary for sure. But they do this great concert. And then after there's always like a DJ and there's a dance party. And it just kind of, it's if you ever wanted to go dance and go crazy in a haunted hotel <laughs> this is the time to do it so what's the I'll what's the price there. point on that brie i wish i could tell you peyton but i cannot find it even on the stanley's website of course you can't that's <laughs> so so your husband greg is playing uh-huh yeah greg's playing with Devochka for the awesome. weekend i love so. Devochka. such I, a, I um, a great I local band for sure you were doing muertos and westwood brie i know i won't be there i should have highlighted it but i'll be in estes park all weekend so being ghoulish and hanging out with people dressed in fancy haunted masquerade outfits. So 
think it's going to be pretty fun. Also, Estes Park. You know, we love Estes Park. We got a hotel for two nights. It's going to be great. Okay, and there you have it. Those are our picks. You can pick from any of them. We are we are not recommending one. They're all equally fantastic. But you can also find more <laughs> things that are going on all week long in our newsletter, Hey Denver, which you can subscribe to right now by going to denver.citycast.fm. Peyton, Paul, thank you so much. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Bree. See you next time. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell culinary creative CEO Juan Padro about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. In a parallel universe, there's a Paul Caroli managing that convenience store. Yeah. Not podcasting.